Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you are well, always, always, always. Um, today is a feast of St. Benedict. St. Benedict, and we're Benedictines, so it's a special day for us. St. Benedict has two fe- feast days. Um, today, July 11th, is the transfer of his relics. Um, and um, uh, March 21st is the main feast day, the day of his death. Um, St. Benedict is really um, the founder of all monastic and religious life. He's, well, not the founder, but the father of all monastic and religious life. Uh, He lived 200 years after St. Augustine. He lived in the 500s, St. Augustine in the 300s. And I'm going to read from a very wonderful website, catholic.org. And it's um, Catholic Online, and very, very wonderful. I think it's uh, run by Deacon Keith Fournier, who is um, the most outstanding deacon I have ever met. He's just wonderful. Well, one of two outstanding deacons. There's another deacon that is just, to me, uh, both of them are saints on earth. And it reads this, St. Benedict is believed to have been born about uh, around 480, A.D. 480, that's the 5th century, as the son of a Roman noble of Norcia and the twin to his sister Scholastica. In the 5th century, the young Benedict was sent to Rome to finish his education with a nurse slash housekeeper. Why am I reading this? Just because we're Benedictines? No, 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 no. He is um, one of the most... Uh, known but powerful saints in the church. I think um, if you're Catholic, you it'd be difficult for you not to have come across the Saint Benedict Medal uh, or to have heard of it, M-E-D-A-L. If you don't have one, you can go online and get them. You can order them from Clear Creek Monastery in Holbert, Oklahoma, and ask them to bless them with a very special Benedictine blessing, not the regular blessing. Um, Very, very powerful for evil spirits and all sorts of things. Um, The subject that dominated a young man's study then was rhetoric, the art of persuasive speaking. A successful speaker was not one who had the best argument or conveyed the truth, but one who used rhythm, eloquence, and technique to convince. The power of the voice without foundation in the heart was the goal of the student's education. And that philosophy was reflected in the lives of the students as well. They had everything, education, wealth, youth, and they spent all of it in the pursuit of pleasure, not truth. Benedict watched in horror as vice unraveled the lives and ethics of his companions. Afraid for his soul, Benedict fled Rome, gave up his inheritance, and lived in a small village with his nurse. When God called him beyond this quiet life to an even deeper solitude, 
he went to the mountains of Subiaco. Although becoming a hermit was not his purpose in leaving, there he lived as a hermit under the direction of another hermit, Romanus. One day, during his time living in a cave above a lake as a hermit, the devil presented Benedict's imagination with a beautiful, tempting woman. Benedict resisted by rolling his body into a thorn bush until it was covered in scrapes. Scraps, I guess. It is said through these body wounds he cured the wounds of his soul. After years of prayer, word of his holiness brought nearby monks to ask for his leadership. He warned them he would be too strict for them, but they insisted. Then tried to poison him when his warning proved true. This is a great short summary of his life. The story goes that the monks tempted to poison Benedict's drink, but when he prayed a blessing over the cup, it shattered. So Benedict was on his own again, but not for long. The next set of followers were more sincere, and he set up 12 monasteries in Subiaco, where monks lived in separate communities of 12. Can you believe that? 12 monasteries in Subiaco, but he set up monasteries beyond those 12. where monks lived in separate communities of 12. He left these monasteries abruptly when the envious attacks of another hermit made it impossible to continue the spiritual leadership he had taken. But it was in Monte Cassino he founded the monastery that became the roots of the church's monastic system. Instead of founding small separate communities, he gathered his disciples into one whole community. His own sister, Saint Scholastica, settled nearby to live a religious life. Excuse me a moment. After almost 1,500 years of monastic tradition, his direction seems obvious to us. However, Benedict was an inventor. No one had ever set up communities like this before or directed them with a rule. What is part of history to us now was a bold, risky step into the future. Benedict had the holiness and the ability to take this step. His beliefs and instructions on religious life were collected in what is now known as the rule of St. Benedict, still directing religious life after 15 centuries, and it directs our life, beloved. In this tiny but powerful rule, Benedict put what he had learned about the power of speaking and oratorical rhythms at the service of the gospel. He did not drop out of school because he did not understand the subject. Scholars have told us that his rule reflects an understanding of and skill with the rhetorical rules of the time. Despite his experience at school, he understood rhetoric was as much a tool as a hammer was. A hammer could be used to build a house or hit someone over the head. (laughs) Rhetoric could be used to promote vice or promote God. Benedict did not shun rhetoric because it had been used to seduce people to vice. He reformed it. 
Benedict did not want to lose the power of voice to reach up to God simply because others had used it to sink down to the gutter. He reminded us, quote, let us consider our place in sight of God and of his angels. Let us rise in chanting that our hearts and voices harmonize, end quote. There was always a voice reading aloud in his communities, at meals, to receive guests, to educate novices. Hearing words one time was not enough. We wish this rule, he said, to be read frequently to the community. Benedict realized the strongest and truest foundation for the power of words was the word of God itself, quote, for what page or word of the Bible is not a perfect rule for temporary life, temporal life? End quote. He had experienced the power of God's word as expressed in Scripture. And then he quotes Isaiah, quote, For just as from the heavens the rain and snow come down and do not return there till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to him who sows and bread to him who eats, so shall my word be that goes for, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. Isaiah 55. For prayer, Benedict turned to the Psalms, the very songs and poems from the Jewish liturgy that Jesus himself had prayed, to join our voices with Jesus in praise of God during the day was so important that Benedict called it the work of God. And nothing was to be put before the work of God. Quote, immediately upon hearing the signal for the divine office, all work will cease, end quote. Benedict believed with Jesus that, quoting from Matthew, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God, end quote. Deacon Fournier continues, but it wasn't enough to just can speak the words. Benedict instructed his followers to practice sacred reading the study of the very scriptures they would be praying in the work of God, opus Dei, the work of God, and that was the divine office. In this Lexio Divina, which means divine reading, in this Lexio Divina, he and his monks memorized the scripture, studied it, and contemplated it until it became part of their being. Four to six hours were set aside each day for this sacred reading. Monks had free time. It should be used by the brothers to practice psalms. Lessons from scripture were to be spoken from memory, not read from a book. On Benedict's list of instruments of good works is to enjoy holy readings. There's the music for our break, beloved. We'll continue right after the break. And again, uh, as always, dear ones, you are welcome to call in with anything on your heart the entire hour or text toll-free at 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
At the Station of the Cross, we are blessed by the variety of donations our listeners generously contribute for our evangelization efforts, from planned gifts to employer matches. We even receive donations through transfers of stock. Please consider giving a gift of stock to help us continue sharing the love of God with our hurting world. If you are being called by God to donate through a transfer of stock from your brokerage account to ours, please ask your broker to contact us at 1-877-888-6279. Your broker will need to indicate the number of shares being transferred as well as the QSIP number of those shares. That's one 877 888-6279. Thank you for considering a gift of stock to the Station of the Cross so that we can continue proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. Our bumper magnets are great ways to promote the truths of the gospel as proclaimed through Catholic Radio. I was getting bored of listening to all the same songs over and over again. And that's when I saw a Catholic radio bumper sticker. And I thought, well, I should try that. We'd be happy to send bumper magnets for your listening area so that others can come to know the Lord. Order your free bumper magnets at thestationofthecross.com. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. Thank you for your continued support, and may God bless you and your family. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are going to continue uh, just toward the very end of um, a um, summary article on St. Benedict's life because it is his feast day today. Um, and um, Deacon Fournier on, on uh, Catholic.org. Um, it's a wonderful site, Catholic.org, Catholic Online. You should, you should go there. A tremendous amount of information. And um, Deacon Fournier continues, in one story of Benedict's life, a poor man came to the monastery begging for a little oil. Although Benedict commanded that the oil be given, the cellarer, that's the person in charge of it, refused because there was only a tiny bit of oil left. If the cellarer gave any oil as alms, there would be none for the monastery. Angry at this distrust of God's providence, Benedict knelt down to pray. As he prayed, a bubbling sound came from inside the oil jar. The monks watched in fascination as oil from God filled the vessel so completely that it overflowed, leaked out beneath the lid, and finally pushed the cover off, cascading out onto the floor. In Benedictine prayer, our hearts are the vessel empty of thoughts and intellectual striving. All that remains is the trust in God's providence to fill us. 
emptying ourselves this way brings God's abundant goodness bubbling up in our hearts, first with an inspiration or two, and finally overflowing our heart with contemplative love. What a beautiful, beautiful paragraph that it was. Benedict died on 21st March 543, not long after his sister. It is said he died with high fever on the very day God told him he would. He is the patron saint of Europe and students. Saint Benedict is often pictured with a bell, a broken tray, a raven, or a crozier. His feast day is celebrated on July 11th. And also, as I said earlier, on March 21st. So, so beautiful, beloved. Um, We will take, we'll go to your calls and your emails. Um, And again, our lines are wide open. Feel free to call in with anything on your heart whatsoever. Toll free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. And um, I want to remind you, of a very, very wonderful event coming up. It's the 25th Anniversary Gala of Life Site News. It's uh, going to be August 17th in Naples, Florida. Their seating is limited, but they still have tickets left. Um, it's, going to, um, uh, they'll, it's going to begin with cocktails and hors d'oeuvres, with dinner and a speaker panel. Um, the guests include Father James Altman, John Henry Weston, and keynote speaker Jim Cavizio. Many, many more. I will be there, Father. Um, um, uh, well, I already mentioned Father James Altman and um, many people, and, and we pray also the, um, the staff of uh, the Station of the Cross. It's going to be a very, very wonderful event. Tickets are available. They're limited, but they're still available. And you can go to gala25.lifesitenews.com to get them. Gala, G-A-L-A, 25 dot lifesitenews, one word, L-I-F-E-S-I-T-E, news.com. We have an email from uh, someone who writes it anonymously and says, Hello, Mother Miriam. I would like to please ask your opinion regarding a social group that our parish parish priest created at our parish several years ago. The group is called the Holy Spirit's Society. She says, now note the S at the end of the word spirit. In other words, it's not possessive, it's plural. It's not spirit apostrophe S. It is the Holy Spirit's Society. Spirit meaning... um, plural spirits. She said there is a poster hanging in the vestibule of our church advertising this group, and the poster reads as follows, quote, come join your Catholic friends aged 19 plus for a drink, conversation, and some fellowship. We meet twice a month at different bars around town. Check the weekly bulletin for time and local details, end quote. And then our, our, um, uh, the one who wrote this in said, I should point out that we are in Canada and the drinking age here is 19, which explains why the poster notes that one must be 19 years of age or over. Anyhow, do you think this is a good idea? I'll tell you right off the bat, absolutely not. 
For do you think this is a good idea for a Catholic church to promote getting together and drinking at, quote, different bars around town, end quote? I should also add that when our parish priest joined our parish several years ago, not only did he initiate this particular social group, but he simultaneously did away with our youth groups and the youth minister, which were all well in place prior to his arrival. Well, I'll tell you, it doesn't sound right to me. It doesn't sound good to me. From this parishioner's perspective, the one who writes this, it seems to me that our priest's focus is not exactly on the right target, meaning by doing away with all existing youth ministry and instead instigating a group for adults who basically go out drinking twice a month. It just doesn't seem right. Mother Miriam, your thoughts, please. Thank you kindly, and God bless Anonymous. It sure doesn't seem right to me. And the title, Holy Spirit Society, is, is poor, very, very poor. It's going to confuse people. If it's the society of the Holy Spirit, who is God, um, but a Holy Spirit society, um, it, 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 it certainly uh, can be misleading to people. Um, there is a ministry, an apostolate, called Theology on Tap, and that's a much better presentation, Theology on Tap. They do meet at different bars. It's usually restaurants that has a bar. Um, the focus isn't on drinking. I've been, I've spoken at one. It's, they have pizza, and, and yes, they have drinks, but it's, it's beer. It's not, uh, nothing harder than that, soda and beer, theology on tap. And it's, uh, and that's one aspect of the youth ministry. And there's always a priest or some religious or um, good, mature Catholic speaker. So um, why your priest has chosen to do it this way and um, let go of the youth ministry that was in place, I don't know. Uh, it certainly doesn't seem uh, holy. It's, it's not, the description is very poor. Come join your Catholic friends for a drink, conversation, and fellowship. We meet twice a month at different bars around town. Holy Spirit Society. Uh, it has a mockery note to it, and it, it's. Um, I think it's quite poor. So um, I cannot tell you it's sinful, but I do think it's poor. And um, it, it would be my suggestion to re-establish uh, the youth group at your. Um, at your church for those who do not want to meet in bars um, so that there are other meeting places like church for groups for youth who want to meet and um, um, and that it sounds like a little holier situation um, we have an email from Norman uh, who says hello mother as you surely see there has been a large amount of backlash regarding the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade. How would you justify this decision to a non-Catholic who does not care about the teachings of the Bible and the church? Is there any basis to work off, work off of outside religious beliefs? 
Norman, you've hit the nail on the head. For nine years, I was a full-time apologist with what I believe is the best apologetics organization, Catholic Apostolate, in the world. It's Catholic Answers, and they are in San Diego, California. And I get their magazine, and I am going to show you, if I can here, the cover of the current magazine. You've asked the right question at the right time. There, Catholic Answers Magazine, whoops, five non-religious, I keep hitting the wrong thing, hold on, for myself, five non-religious pro-life arguments, just tremendous, and I'll just tell you what um, the other subjects are for this issue, countering arguments from, and the five non-religious pro-life arguments by Trent Horn, countering arguments from Silence, Jimmy Aiken, Walking the Fine Line on Indulgences, Joe Heschmeyer, 25 Years a Catholic from the Fantastic Carl Olson, um, The Biblical Evidence for Apostolic Succession, Tim Staples, and How a Famous Protestant Helped Make Me Catholic, Swan Sona. So, five non-religious pro-life arguments. I don't think we'll have time to read through the entire article. It's their main feature and it's several pages. But if you would call Catholic Answers, uh, catholic.com on the internet, call Catholic Answers. It is the July, August 2022 issue. Tell them you want to subscribe. You will not be wasting a single penny and tell them you want to begin with the current issue of July, August, so you can get the non-religious pro-life arguments. Um, and they will mail you a copy in the mail. Let me just take a look and see what they are. <clears throat> Trent Horn writes, An assumption of the pro-choice camp is that pro-life arguments are always grounded in religion. But there are strong non-religious arguments against the killing of babies. And here are five. He says, recently, I was given the opportunity to defend the pro-life position in a formal debate at a prominent medical school. My opponent was a skilled philosopher who has published several critiques of the pro-life position. And I told the audience that my opponent was right, at least about some things. For example... He said that simplistic arguments for abortion either assume what they try to prove, quote, abortion is wrong because it kills babies, or they bring up issues that are irrelevant to the question of whether abortion is right or wrong, such as what about adoption. And Trent says, that's why I wanted to offer a robust case for the pro-life position that could withstand philosophical scrutiny. In order to do that, I offered the five, the following five non-religious philosophical arguments for the claim that abortion is gravely immoral. And there's the music for our second break, beloved. I will not read this whole arg argument uh, of Trent's. He's probably one of the 
he and Jimmy Aiken, one of the two most outstanding apologists we have. I'll read that when we come back from the break, just to introduce you to the five points. Feel free to call in, dear ones, with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Beloved, this is Mother Miriam, and I have a wonderful announcement for you. LifeSite News is celebrating its 25th anniversary with a gala in Naples, Florida on August 17th. Join me, LifeSite Editor-in-Chief John Henry Weston, Father James Altman, and other VIP guests, including keynote speaker Jim Cavizio, as we celebrate LifeSite's accomplishments, defending life and promoting faith, family, and freedom for a quarter of a century. Your admission includes a cocktail and hors d'oeuvres hour, a lovely dinner, and an evening of elegance, celebration, inspiration, and gratitude. Tickets are limited, so be sure to visit gala25.lifesitenews.com to buy your ticket today. Again, that's gala25.lifesitenews.com. I hope to meet many of you there. God bless you. This is Jesse Romero, host of Jesus 911, heard weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. I'm joined each day by a variety of co-hosts like Ruben Nava, Paul Clay, Dan Schneider, and my amazing wife, Anita Romero. We tackle Catholic devotions, spiritual warfare, family life, saving America, and everything in between. Join us each weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Jesus 911. You can also catch a bonus encore Saturdays at noon Eastern. God bless you. Keep the faith. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the station on the cross. I listen to the radio station daily and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that and through your programs I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the station on the cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, I am live, I am here, and I am thrilled to be with you. Um, we have a um, an email that we began just before the break from Norman, who wrote, um, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Mother, as you can surely see, there's been a large amount of backlash regarding the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade. How would you justify this decision to a non-Catholic who does not care about the teachings of the Bible and the Church? Is there any best basis to work off of outside of religious beliefs? And just before the break, I um, said you just you couldn't have a more timely question because my favorite Catholic apologetics organization. I was on their staff for nine years. Uh, I think they're the best apologetics uh, apostolate in the world, and their magazine, Catholic Answers. Uh, is the best. That's all I can tell you. It's simply the best. So call them, catholic.com, ask for their current July-August 2022 issue, 
and um, or subscribe would even be better um, and ask them to mail you this issue, which has already been mailed out, but tell them that Mother Miriam said you would mail them the July-August issue. So, uh, Five Non-Religious Pro-Life Arguments. It's by Trent Horn, and I'm going to begin those. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's way too long, but the first argument is the humanity argument. Trent says... My first argument is a simple one. It is wrong to intentionally kill innocent biological human beings. A fetus is an innocent biological human being. Abortion intentionally kills a fetus. Therefore, abortion is wrong. And he goes on to um, uh, defend that. Okay. The second one is the personhood argument. Pro-choice and pro-life advocates agree that there is a special class of beings called persons who have a right to life. We agree that we are persons and that anyone reading this article is a person. But many other humans who do not understand this article, such as mentally disabled adults and infants, are still persons. We also agree that there are many beings that are not persons, or at least are not persons in the same sense you and I are persons. For example, most people would agree that rats and pigeons, for example, are not persons. So any definition of personhood must account for clear examples of personhood, such as in the case of you, me, infants, and disabled humans, and not include clear examples of non-persons such as rats and pigeons that do not have a right to life. Okay, argument three. And again, I'm reading only Trent's introduction to each argument, but he fleshes every one of them out. Number three, the personal identity argument. He says, the next arguments I'll share against abortion do not rely on defending either the humanity or even the personhood of unborn children. For example, we can show that since it is wrong to kill us now, it is always wrong to kill us. And since we used to exist in the womb, it was wrong to kill us in the womb. This kind of argument is based on personal identity and can be laid out as follow. I'm just going to read Trent's seven points. They're wonderful. Number one, if an organism that once existed has never died, then its organism still exists. I am an an organism. Point two. Point three, therefore, I am the organism that once existed in my mother's womb. Point four, generally speaking, it is always wrong to kill me. Five, since I existed in my mother's womb, it was wrong to kill me at that time. Six, what is true about killing me is true for everyone else. Seven, therefore, it is wrong to kill anyone else who lives or who has lived in his mother's womb. Argument four, the future like ours argument. The future like ours argument says that what makes killing anything wrong is that it deprives that thing 
of a valuable future or a future like ours. Rats do not have a future like ours, so it is not wrong to kill them. But you and I, infants, and nearly every embryo and fetus does have a future like ours. And so if this is what makes killing wrong, then it is wrong to kill nearly every human embryo and fetus because it has a future like ours. Again, uh, these introductions to trans five points may not convince anyone, but he fleshes them out. And finally, the impairment argument. One final agreement, argument, Trent says, against abortion, I'd like to share with you is similar to the future like ours argument, and it is called the impairment argument. It goes like this. Imagine that if Mary conceives a child in the month of July, she will give birth to a child named Rob with a mild mental handicap. Most people would say Mary has not done anything wrong, nor has she harmed Bob. Because if Mary had wanted to conceive a child in August, she would not have conceived Bob. There would have been different sperm and egg. So Mary would have conceived Bob's brother Bill. We cannot we can't say Mary harmed Bob since if she had not had relations in July, it would not be the case. Bob would exist without a mental handicap. Bob would simply not exist at all. This goes on. This might be uh, seem a little complicated at first, but um, but it goes on to explain it. Very very wonderful, and very very convincing. Um, okay, I'm just looking to see the beginning of Jimmy Aiken's article, beloved. Um, I am going to recommend this magazine, which I didn't plan to do, except that we had that email this morning from uh, Norman. And so um, I'm going to recommend this to you, not just for the non-religious pro-life arguments, but for you to be able to know and defend your faith. We are living in such a time that we need to do that. So call Catholic Answers, catholic.com, on the Internet. And um, um, and just tell them you'd like to subscribe to the magazine, Catholic Answers, or at the very least, get their July-August issue on five non-religious pro-life arguments. Okay, let me see now. Um, Facebook, we have a comment from Papa, P-O-P-P-A, who writes, Mother, can you tell me if the Latin, the traditional Latin Mass is much more valuable, his word, valuable, than the ordinary form? Should I be striving to locate and attend the traditional Latin Mass because it is better? Thank you and God bless you always. The answer is yes. They are both valid But if you want to use the word valuable or better, the traditional Latin Mass is more valuable and better. It's not, you won't receive more of our Lord in the Eucharist at either one because they are both fully 
Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity. But the Latin Mass is more reverent. The ordinary form has eliminated a number of the prayers and has added... Uh, in most Novus Order churches, music that is extremely poor, modern, um, inclusive language, uh, I would say, Papa, if you can do anything you can to get to a traditional Latin Mass, I absolutely recommend that. <clears throat> and I think you will learn your faith much more deeply. Um we have a text from someone who writes in anonymously and says, Good morning, Mother Miriam. Hold on. <clears throat> Do you think a third temple will be built in Jerusalem? And if so... Do you think it has anything to do with ushering in the Antichrist in the end times prophecy? Well, I don't know that. Um, I don't think so, actually. Um, I don't know anything for sure. But um, the, the scriptures speak of the sacrificial system. Um, and for the Jewish people, their sacrificial system um, ended in 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed with its temple and the Ark of the Covenant not found to this day. And the Ark of the Covenant uh, has the ashes of a pure red heifer which are needed to purify the altar and so uh, the orthodox rabbis of Israel to this day have been looking for a pure red heifer without spot or blemish that they can kill to purify with its ashes a new altar for sacrifice either that or find the lost ark in which the old ashes are contained and they believe the time is so near for Messiah to come, which for us would be, of course, his second coming. For them, for the Jews also, will be his second coming. Um, that um, they are making utensils. They're making everything to prepare for the second temple. Uh, I don't understand that it will actually be built and again, or the third temple rather, to be built. Again, it would need to be built in the place where the Mormon temple is now. Um, but um, uh, we do believe that we are in the end times, which began on the cross, actually. We believe that we are nearing the end of the end times uh, when we the Antichrist will come, uh, uh, John wrote in his letter to 1 John, there are many Antichrists, but the Antichrist will come at the end. And um, whether he's alive on the earth at this point or not, we do not know. Many speculations. Um, but, I th but the Jewish expectation of the reinstatement of the sacrificial system does has to have to do with the end times and coming of the Messiah. Um, but it is the sacrificial system, the Jewish sacrificial system will never be reinstated because our Lord was the only and the final Passover lamb that satisfied um, uh, the pure blood needed from a pure animal for our sins. And his sacrifice is an eternal sacrifice which began 
He is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and his sacrifice continues to this day. He is not re-sacrificed. His sacrifice is represented, brought down through time to every altar of every Catholic church through the consecrated hands and the words of the priest, who, which is the words of Christ, um, through the priest at every Catholic mass and will be till the end of time. Um, that's kind of a short paragraph on so much to be understood, but I do not believe the third temple will be built. Um, and um, I do not understand that. I shouldn't say I don't believe it. I don't understand that will take place. It, it might, but the only acceptable sacrifice of Christ is the same sacrifice um, that you will receive, body, blood, soul, and divinity, uh, unbloodied, the once for all, um, a sacrifice 2,000 years ago represented in every single Catholic church till the end of time. There's our final uh, break, the music for our final break, beloved. You're welcome to call in again with anything on your heart. Toll free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. beloved this is mother miriam how would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests you can tune in to sermons for everyday living every day at 6 a.m eastern on the station of the cross you can listen on the station of the cross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic radio mobile app god bless you the Station of the Cross is listener-funded, and we value your ongoing generosity. In this fast-paced world, it's easy to let your reoccurring donation slip due to something like a new address or a card number change. If you suspect that we do not have your up-to-date donor information, you could check with us during regular business hours at 1-877-888-6279, extension 104, or anytime online at thestationofthecross.com. Thank you. Keep up to date with the shows we bring you each day on the Station of the Cross by viewing our programming grid on our website, thestationofthecross.com, and on our iCatholic Radio app. Just click the menu icon in the top left portion of our app and select the link to our programming grid. That's at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. Hi, this is Joe McLean, host of the Catholic Drive Time Morning Show. Weekday mornings, 7 a.m. on the Station of the Cross. We'll keep you informed and inspired with insightful guests and breaking news stories of the day. That's the Catholic Drive Time. Weekday mornings, 7 a.m. on the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio app. We look forward to joining you on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network each weekday morning at 7 a.m. Praise be to Jesus. May God love you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved 
to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. We've got 10 minutes, and our lines are wide open with for anything on your heart. Feel free to call in one 511 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have an email from Paula. Paula writes, My brother-in-law listened to your CD, Marry Our Jewish Mother, and he just loved it. I would like to buy the CD. Can you tell me where I can purchase it? Thank you so much. I've tried many resources on the Internet, and I cannot locate the CD for purpose, for purchase, rather. Any advice you can give will be helpful. The CD my brother-in-law listened to was a copy, and a two- to three-minute segment was missing. Um, I think that St. Joseph Radio... Um, the full name is now St. Joseph Evangelization Network, St. Joseph Radio in St. Charles, Missouri, um, may be able to help you with a copy of that. And I'm going to give you their number. Um, it's 636, area code 636 636-447-6000. 636-447-6000. Or just go to their website, which is saintjosephradio.net. All written out, S-A-I-N-T, saintjosephradio, one word, dot net. I think they'll be able to help you get a copy. Um, I spoke, uh, Catholic Answers might have a copy left, but I don't know if they will. But I think St. Joseph Radio might be able to get you one. Um, Okay, let me see now. Um... All right, Uh, we have an email from Rachel, and Rachel says, Dear Mother Miriam, I'm one of your biggest fans. Hi, Rachel, how sweet. As a newer Catholic, I have learned so much from your radio program, and I always look forward to listening to it. Thank you, Rachel. God bless you. I live in Denver, Colorado with my family. We would like to take a look at your property. Um, Oh, my property in Beloit, we often entertain the idea of leaving this busy city for a simpler life in a small town. Would you please send me a link to the MSL, MLS listing or send me the contact information for the realtor? I will send you both. I'll send you both, Rachel. Um, uh, Let me just say a word about that property. It is 6,000 square feet on two floors, the main floor and a lower level, which we've put 12 bedrooms in and a fireplace, and it's just beautiful. It's limestone. It's over an acre of land with a a gorgeous uh, back porch that leads down to a stream. The place is beautiful. We had to stop short of building it when we knew we couldn't use it. We couldn't live there. And so um, we finished everything. I, we bought everything. It's finished and paid for. Doors and everything is finished. The floors, they're all in there, but they're not put in. So um, we've put 800000 into it. Um, either we need to put another 100000 or so into it to finish putting everything in that's already paid for, or the person who buys it can do that. We'll give them everything. Um, again, we put 800000 into it. Um, we, we would be, um, 
heartbroken to to get any less than five hundred thousand from it. We'd love to get the full eight hundred thousand, and if someone has a little more, we'll get the um, the construction people to finish it completely, and then. Uh, maybe you can give us the full eight hundred thousand, and we'll we'll chip in the extra to finish it. So, um, all of those options. Uh, Rachel says, I also have a question regarding the Catholic faith. I've heard you say that the teachings slash positions of our current Pope are non-binding or not considered infallible. Can you please explain the standard for a binding or infallible teaching? Thank you so much, and God bless you for teaching the true Catholic faith. You are in my prayers. Best regards, Rachel. God bless you, Rachel. Of course, it's a very, very important and crucial uh, question. The Pope is a sinner like us. Now, he's been chosen to be... Uh, the vicar of Christ on earth. Um, But it doesn't mean that he is infallible. Uh, He has the gift of infallibility, which is a very special gift, a limited gift, and actually a negative gift. It means only that when the Holy Father, when the Pope, teaches us something of faith or morals that is binding on the faithful to believe, at penalty of sin or excommunication. If it's binding on the faithful, such as the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, whatever it may be, what is binding on the faithful to believe, in that instance, it's not even that he teaches us what is true. It is that the Holy Spirit, where I say it's negative, protects him from error. That's it. Whenever the Holy Father binds us with a teaching that he says is infallible and binds us to believe it. The Holy Spirit is at work to protect the faithful so that the Pope is protected from error at that point, period. He is not impeccable. Anything else he says, even his opinions on doctrines, whatever it is, nothing is infallible, and we are not bound to believe it. So uh, if the Pope says... Uh, you need to take the vaccine as a, a matter of charity. You do not have to take the max- vaccine, and it is not a matter of charity. Um, and if you need to uh, approve same-sex unions, you do not. It is mortal sin. So again, whatever the Pope says, if it goes against Scripture and the teaching of the Church, it is... Many of the things he said are wrong. They're confusing at least and heresy at, at, at the most. And so um, you can very well check the scriptures, the teachings of the popes, the encyclicals, go to the Catechism of Trent, and um, you will get the true teaching of the faith. Okay. Um, Uh, we have an email from Denise. I'm going to give it a start, Denise. I don't know if I can finish this. Uh, we just have two minutes left to our program. Let me give it a try. Denise says, I hope you had a blessed uh, celebration for the 4th of July. Indeed, we did. Thank you, Denise. I wanted to ask you about the time when Jesus, at age 12, stayed in Jerusalem instead of going home with his parents. I find it hard to believe that the Pharisees, elders, etc., 
would be talking to a 12-year-old at length and not ask about his parents, or at least his father. I would think they would ask to meet at least the father of such an impressive child. I would also think they would ask where he lived, and seeing he was not a resident of Jerusalem, uh, be concerned. I know that if a 12-year-old showed up for three consecutive days at my church, and I saw no parents around, I would wonder where they were. Oh my goodness, Denise. At 12, he was God. He never ceased being God. He was God in the manger. He held the world together from the manger, and he spoke with authority at 12, as he did when he was 30 and 33. Um, He spoke with authority. He knew everything. He spoke of the scriptures, and he wrote the scriptures. And uh, Denise says, is it possible that Jesus spent three days in the temple but only spent the last day talking to the elders? I imagine he may have spent two days just being in the presence of his father, perhaps overhearing the conversations of the elders and venturing to interact with them on the third day. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. I was hoping that you, with Jewish roots, may know more about this. Denise, he talked with them for those three days. He spoke with them as no 12-year-old and no 112-year-old person ever did. They were mesmerized, and he spoke truth, and they knew it, and they listened to him with great respect. We'll speak with you all tomorrow, God willing. God bless you.